The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Dimensions with your host, Rev. Nicholas Barrett. Our identities are not labels identifying who we are to others. Rather, they are found in God's riches, His likeness and character. We can discover our true selves and live the way He has intended for us to live. Now, here is Rev. Nicholas Barrett. Hello, friends. It's Nicholas. I have a a great show for you this week. I I hope it's a great show. I've planned it to be. I've prepared for it. I'm enthusiastic to do it. Uh, I really want to thank you to make this part of your day. It's a busy time of year for everybody, for many of you nearly for everybody. There's so many other things, a myriad of things you could be doing. So we're going out live. I want to thank you for doing this. Eight o'clock Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time as we do each Wednesday. The exciting thing is we go out to 52 different countries, maybe even more now. So we have the potential of thousands of people listening to this on, on the live feed, but then we're on iTunes, on the iTunes platform. So this show and any other previous show, you can then access that by putting in new dimensions. Remember the S at the end, and you'll be able to hear them. They'll soon be actually going out also on YouTube and Vimeo, just certain of the shows that are more broad-based. Most of these shows are, but there's certain shows that are specifically going to be geared to certain things, and they'll be the ones on YouTube and Vimeo. I shouldn't really even be presenting the show this morning as I had a sudden bereavement to deal with. This was on the 2nd of December. It was a a very favorite family pet. But my mum was also on the 3rd, on the 2nd of March, and my other uh, pet was on the 2nd of April. So they're all on the 2nd, and dad was on the 13th of December. So it's definitely a challenging time. I'm also at an important preposis for my ministry. Since 2012, I moved away from my counseling, as you know, and I've either lost or put in a large amount of money, a seven-figure sum in my, of my own money, to be able to really focus on my heart and lay my life down for my purpose. Sometimes we've got to give up what we've known to be safe and comfortable to stretch out into the deep and do something different. And this really requires the faith. It's very easy to go to somewhere where you have been successful, where you've been getting an income or a claim, or you've been getting confirmation, but sometimes going out into the deep is is really where you're meant to be going. But we get comfortable stuck in this mind box, our own reality of our limitations. So really, I've put aside all of that and really to focus on what needs to be done for God first and then people first before building my platform. Ideally, a platform, building a platform to me would mean really having a a larger voice. In other words, a larger man with more people listening to the messages, more people being encouraged. It's not a monetary thing I'm looking for. I'm looking to sustain. I had the potential for monetary things before if I hadn't started to prepare for this platform in 2012. So I really want to tell you today 
But if you're in the midst of a challenging season, I spoke to somebody in the coffee shop this morning and they were, you know, it may be we're all in seasons. It may be a loss. It may be a sickness, an addiction, or really a long, dark period in your life. You may feel that you're, you know, in a tunnel and there's no light. So you may be in the valley of the shadow of death, but I always want to tell you with God in it, you're not going to be in it. You're actually going to go through it because it's going through the valley is is where the potential is. Not in, in the valley means I'm in this darkness and I don't see a vision from the circumstance. Going through it means, yes, it's uncomfortable, but there is something at the end of this that makes all this tangible and it's worthwhile. I always say we're in a painful situation, but there is purpose in the pain. What am I going to do with this? And I, I preach this at my mother's life celebration. 150 people roughly there. And we said that we're all in pain, but let's use this to become better people. Let's use this for new opportunities. And I really, I challenge you today, wherever you are, just to really look up and say, I've got the breath in my body. Things are what they are, but they'll not always be the same. You know, God doesn't require us really to figure him out or understand him, just really to have his will in our lives. We can't figure it out. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So very simply, I can't program myself to what's on the outside of my life because that's constantly shifting. As I realized on the 2nd of December, that's something I hadn't been through before in that particular phase. I've done it in tragedies before, but when you when you're tested again, you, you're up against that. So you can't rely on the flux. Your inside mechanism has to be really stronger than what comes on the outside of you. Um, you may recall I've done some shows. I, I want to stay current. And wherever you are in the world, it, it's going to be something that will interest you and something that you can use personally in, in your life. I've done shows for disunity. We have a tremendous, I feel, Racial divide here in America. We've had it before, but now certain things are awakening in culture. There's just more talk about it. So when there's more talk about something, it becomes more relevant. And I need really to broach it. I'm not pro-black or pro-white. I'm actually pro-all people. And this is how a discussion has to be. When we approach it with a a pro-someone or a pro-something else, we're coming in with a bias. And that never results. It results in reaction, not pro-action. So you've got to be proactive, and that means I need to be neutral because I'm looking at causality, not the behavior of something. So I did a show on the 5th of October. I did a show on the 12th of October and also on the 11th of November, actually on the 16th of November. So the 5th of October, 10th of October, and the 16th of November. Had to get those dates right. But I'm not going to cover the same ground. This is going to be something else that you can actually use in your own country wherever you are. The title for this show is Others' Perception and Self-Perception, or you could do it the other way around. You could go Self-Perception and Others' Perception. It's an interesting title. There's a lot of meat in this. We hear a lot about prestige. We hear about achievements, social positioning, winning, losing, making money, but all of this is set in the stage of how we feel about ourselves and in turn how others feel about us. This is a finely orchestrated ballet you know, of self-esteem that is ultimately conducted by self-perception and others' perception. There is a good deal of talk about self-esteem. You know, parents are told to build, work on building their children's self-esteem for a young, from a young age. They can go out there and be healthy adults. Building your self-esteem is touted as a wonder tool for life. But what really is this self-esteem? Do we ever stop and really think about it? What is it and what, it's made, what is it made from? 
How does it come? What's its source? Self-esteem is our opinion, really, of ourselves, of yourself, of myself. It's based on others' perceptions. So how is it that we all, or at least many of us, have such a distorted and negative self-perception? A lot of us, really, we have a low image of ourselves. We're always down on ourselves. We're our biggest critic. We like to point out our losses. We like to point out our failures. So it comes really from a distorted view of ourselves. It's a good question. It's, it's one really that got me thinking when I was preparing this show. It's something a lot of us don't really consciously think about. We just have that constant voice of really a, a distorted negative self-perception of ourselves. You know, we all come into this life with no previous thoughts as we're born with no previous interactions or experiences. We come out completely on a clean slate. And then as we grow up, every interaction, the things we hear about ourselves, you know, the things we hear from the media and commonly held social paradigms and patterns, they leave an imprint. And I refer to this, I've referred to this in my book, I've referred to this before as the human version of MindTivo. In other words, whatever we hear is stored and played back in our minds over and over again. It becomes like a, 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 a tape playing in our mind over, over and over again. It just talks to us. So in, in time, these have become, they've become very deeply ingrained. If you're listening to something all the time, like we're listening to our inner voice, it becomes very ingrained. It's something really that, that's with us. So our thoughts have become really conditioned through society's collective thoughts, so if we have a low awareness, which, you know, most of us do. We just live our lives really on autopilot. Most of the time we go through the routine. We get up at the same time. We drive to the same place, go to the same coffee shop, think a lot of the same thoughts and go to a lot of the same places. Our everyday thoughts will be those of the culture we live in, what is commonly around us. This is called our conditioning. Like if you put a T-shirt in a smoky room, it will take the essence of the room It'll, and you come out of, let's say, a bar and you're smell of the smoke. Sometimes if I take my computers and stuff into a coffee shop, my leather case smells of coffee. So we're really a remnant of what we've been around. You can then have a really a Picasso in front of you and only through, through, see it really through a veiled curtain. Most often our mind controls our perceptions. It gives instructions to what we even see before we see it. And I can give you an example of this. You may be packing to go on a plane journey. Many of us are traveling over the holidays, so you're getting ready to go on your journey. You're packing. Your mind's already going over all the perils, going through the security perils. How are they going to check your stuff? How am I going to pack them so when they check them, it doesn't fall out? You know, these are real thoughts. You know, air traffic delays and even envisioning problems at the other end. Oh, my bags may take a long time to come off the carousel. Bob's waiting to pick me up from the airport. I hope my rental car is still available, the one I selected, the one I chose as a preference. All this really is a result of your conditioning. If you really stop and think about it, it's the tape that's constantly playing in your mind from societally collective thoughts, the societal collective mind. So you may be asking, how does this affect race bias. How does it affect race bias? Well, the same can apply really if you're an oppressed African-American. You've been living in a divided system and your mind can be playing out all of your disadvantages. And this is very real, what I'm going to say. This could be in a scenario as trivial as driving a car late at night or something more impactful as applying for a place for higher education at a college or a university or going on a job interview. It can even affect which bar or coffee shop you go to. You may think about well, 
because I've been in many coffee shops and it's all white and they're therefore I speak to many, many black people and sometimes they avoid certain coffee shops because they want to feel comfortable. And you may ask, how does this restrict and limit us? Even if, it, if it's not race bias that's your concern, I think it should be everybody's concern. It, it's how you feel about yourself can also dictate where you're going and how you are in an interview and how you are applying for a, an application to go to higher education. All of these things, whether it's race or not race, I'm doing this specifically for the race, but you can actually channel that collective mindset into your life, even if it's even if you're not aware of race. But how does all this really restrict and limit us? And I can give you some basic examples of how self and others perception can really affect you or me. If a school bus driver sits black pupils on one side of the bus and white on the other side, he's giving you the instruction that you are different. If you happen to be black, which is 12% of our community, you're made to feel marginalized. This is fact because I've, you know, I've done thousands of social medias probably for the last year, and I've, this is what I've witnessed. I've witnessed a lot of posts describing these things, and I've really done a lot of research. And I stated on my previous shows, I need, really needed to live it to be an effective tool as part of a solution. I am pioneering this part of my ministry, but I, I have to live it to know it. It's not supposition. You've got to get into the, into the battle to know what each side is, what each side's experiencing. So you basically, you don't know what you don't know. We can even be in denial about this. We can have a low state of awareness because I'm believing we have a large white culture that's really good. We have some that really deny it, but know it. Some really with a low state of awareness. They're getting about their automated life without really giving anything else much thought. Implicit bias, which means it's triggers deep down in me that I have a divide. That's my, or explicit, being openly bold in the world and, and, and just declaring supremacy. That's all people on fire for change, people that are scared. They just don't have the platform I have or they don't have the, the fire. I mean, I know God's given me the fire because I wouldn't still be on fire. It would have been much easier to do a re-record for today because I really wasn't the last few days focused, but I'm focused now because I know what I've got to deliver. The time is now. When the sea opens, you've got to do it. So we can, that's one example I gave you of how they're sitting, some school bus drivers are sitting children segregated by color. So and if your school, another example would be a school guidance counselor. If they give you a, a, dumb, a, dumb, a dumbs down list of colleges and universities to which you can select to apply, they're giving you the instruction that you're not so sought after. But goes on a personal level. If your mother told you that you were a black child and that you're not respected by society or you can't go here and there, you grow up with restrictions in your mind, you feel inhibited and you walk around with a limp. It's important to realize that these early childhood renderings have an indelible effect on how we walk our lives out from the way we think about ourselves and how we really view our opportunities. It all stems from that. So just like an animal learns to hunt, eat, and defend itself from its instincts from its parents, so do children. Just like I explained to you, if a bag goes in a coffee shop, it's a remnant of its in conditioning and environment. So in psychology and ethology, imprinting is any kind of faith-sensitive learning 
occurring at a particular age or a particular life stage. It's a rapid and apparently independent of any consequences of behavior. So it was first used to describe situations in which you had an animal or person learning the characteristics of some stimuli, which is therefore said to be imprinted on the subject. So it's imprinted. How would it really affect race, you may be asking me? Well, maybe a parent told you you were black and that driving around late at night as a young black person in America, you're likely to be singled out by the police for questioning. The result is that this being your first imprint is the one that you then live by default, you rely on for your decision making. This will go in your mindset of how you live your life. You'll tell your children this. You know, I've been in black culture for many, many years, and regardless of jobs, I know people that are head of universities, people making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year uh, with big positions. This is the reality that they live their lives to. They used to tell me this about their children when they were growing up. You better be careful driving around late at night as a black boy. So it's, it's something that's there. So it very much impedes people in their daily living. I'm trying to shed light. All of these shows are different that I've handled. They're uncomfortable to do for the very fact most of us look at behavior. We're uncomfortable really with racist behavior. Most majority of people are. We're talking about really a subculture of whites. The majority, I believe, whether they're black or white are good. But it's, it's, we need to really handle, handle this for the majority who are good so we can regroup the minority who are just sometimes doing it out of form and function of their conditioning, their remnants of the past. I'm not going to judge whether people are good or bad people. I'm approaching this as a causality. So we don't really see things the way they are, but the way we are. And I'll repeat this. We don't really in life see things the way they are. But the way we are, my condition would determine how I see somebody. So we identify all things with our thinking. Our thoughts are constantly working. You know, you have 60,000 thoughts a day pumping out. So there are not many breaks to give you time to critically think. You're just rolling those thoughts. Our mind is constantly working to maintain your story, your self-contained reality. So your life has become your story as this is what you identify in. You identify your life with your story. It is this unconscious process that then becomes your identity and your whole reality we're about to take a break it's you know it's been great having you on on the show so far we're going to talk more about in the next segment how collective thoughts change change us to make us see things in a skewed way we're going to talk more about limitations but then we're going to move really forward in a positive way how we can be a tool to improve i believe if we talk about a problem yes we'll be reactive to the problem but we really need to talk about the potential and i believe there's a potential to change and improve and i'm believing society wants that if you ask any let's say a basketball team if they're all working together you get much more joy and you get a much happier community so i'm thinking it's positive i don't view any of this as negative i I feel that from the dark we can shine light but have a great break and i'll talk to you in the next segment we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network live wherever you go on iphone blackberry or android download it from the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. 
Motivate. Change. Succeed. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. tuned in to New Dimensions. To reach Reverend Nicholas or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to nbarrett28 at yahoo.com. Now, back to New Dimensions. I hope you have a good break, although a short break. We're scaling on K2. We're going somewhere with this, the um, low, the banner on the front of the show is K2, and I'm believing that what we hear gives us the potential to grow it so we can actually raise ourselves, raise ourselves in our thoughts, become more aware of things that we maybe were not aware of, and just really move forward. It's about changing our thoughts to understand that we can then make a change within ourselves, which can then make a change around us. It's about really improving the world one person at a time. We can only change the world through ourselves. People change people. That's really what we've got to remember. People change people. So when we look at a problem, we shouldn't really get overwhelmed with the problem because we are the change. It's very simple. We are the change. So We've been talking more about um, how we see ourselves, how we see ourselves really is a reflection of how others see us. And we've talked about how racial divides, how our thought and our perception of ourselves starts from a very, very young age. It comes from a skewed place that people have told us things that they've learned and they've learned that because it's been passed on through a position they were disadvantaged. If we are in a minority, we feel disadvantaged, but it's really the the business of the majority to actually say that we're we're pretty much here the same. We've all contributed to growing a country and it goes deeper than that. But understand this, unless really we can change the framework of US culture, we'll always have endemic racism. So the way the white person sees themselves and the black person sees themselves need to shift. Unless we can change the mindset to be renewed by our mind, it comes from both ends of the spectrum. White people need to, uh, the way they see themselves needs to change, and also the way black people see themselves needs to shift. And I'll cover the ways that this is achievable. It's very possible, as we need to be aware, what we have today was not set up by an event. It was a process. It was a process. It was the wrong process because a lot of things were not dealt with in the right way. And sometimes when you go through life, you realize that my process actually wasn't the right process, but the great thing about people is they are change. So we can change the process to re- to reform things, to redevelop things. So must understand change is not by process. It's, it is not by 
it's a process, not by event. It's not by an event. It's not a boycott. It's not a protest because, you know, if all of these things would have worked, we wouldn't have the racial divide that we're currently seeing. So it's not by that. It's by a process really that hasn't been fully put together because a lot of people have come angry to platforms. I will be on fire if somebody puts me up in Times Square to speak to 10,000 people live. I'll bring it, but it's not going to be an angry bringing it. It's going to be a realistic bringing it. It, because that's really how that's how Nelson Mandela did it. That's how you get change when we're attacking each other. There'll always be wars. There'll always be wars and rumors of wars. You cannot simply sort a problem out between people if you're going to take sides aggressively. You have to have a vision of what needs changing and make that your goal, not to crush certain people or attack certain people. That is not that is simply will not result in change. That's one of the reasons why we haven't had change. So it can only really happen by shifting memes. So a meme really is an element of a culture or system of behavior in culture that may be considered passed on from one individual to another by non-genetic means, especially imitation. So it's been passed on from parent to parent very simply because if something is set up divisively it'll continue to be that way so it means a racist doesn't inherit their views um they develop they learn them from their from their parents from their schooling system from media exposure and societal conditioning all all of this that i've been through already so how to break it down so we could begin to shift our perception as a society we really need to talk about how are we going to move with solution? I've pointed all the things that have caused it, but how are we going to shift the solution? So society really needs to shift its meme, its framework. So the views of society sets a framework for things that are accepted and things that are not accepted. This can include racial stereotyping and labeling by police, who fits the bill and the likelihood to commit a certain crime. It, this can be their skin color. I've done a, re, a lot of research on this, the styling of their clothes, what jewelry they wear, and even the area they're, they're in at the time. All of these are factoids and based off an implicit or an explicit bias of a very divided culture. They're suppositions, but they're bad suppositions because they're based off, a res, uh, off racially biased attitudes to begin with. So that's a framework that needs to shift. Using this perspective, when one is trying to change society, one should design a stronger meme to carry, carry the idea. So the intent should be to design uh, a working system that's one resistant to alteration due to being transferred and interpreted by many consciousness. And then two, you can easily communicable to other minds, something people can easily understand. And then three, able to overcome other memes trying to change the same set of ideas. So... To give you an example, it wasn't very long ago that you called to make a restaurant reservation and you had to decide whether you want to sit on a smoking or non-smoking section. I've covered something similar before. It seems like a while ago, but it was only probably about a decade ago. This was a cultural um, cultural meme, a cultural system that shifted in a positive direction. So it was thought, why shouldn't someone have to sit in a restaurant and breathe in the dangerous fumes of somebody else just because they decide to sit and have a cigarette in front of them. But it wasn't this case for many years. Many years this was going on. It was a tipping point. And in other words, enough people began to think smoking was bad in restaurants, which was acceptable. And then it became unacceptable because enough people talked about it. So this is what we can do really with the racist junk too. That's how it all started the same way all things start in society. You know, it takes enough things, enough ideas 
enough people with an idea to do it for long enough that it becomes acceptable. It reaches a tipping point. Okay, this is happening, but then this is probably the way it is. So this, it can be changed. So in America today, very simply, by our participation, it's acceptable to be a biased police officer. Not all of them, but the incidents I talked about in these other shows, a school bus driver, as we talked about segregating them, a teacher or parent because of our participation. You know, there are many references in general media that never referred to Barack Obama as president. They just called him Obama. University presidents have even called Michelle Obama a gorilla, and some of them are still maintaining their jobs. Yes, things are the way they are only because of our participation. It becomes like the, the smoking mammy. There has to be enough people talking about it to raise the consciousness that what's acceptable becomes unacceptable. That's how it will change. People change people. It cannot change any other way. So very simply, if it were not acceptable, if it were no longer acceptable to be uh, overtly racist, uh, racists are bold and proud of what they're doing because they're going out there with it. But if it becomes not acceptable by the bulk of the people, in other words, if there isn't the silence, then it, that will eventually change. To see a change in society, we must first participate, I'm believing, in a discussion. All people, you know, as it's a white subculture out of really its limitations or brokenness that's detrimentally impacting an entire black culture of 42 million people. You know, it's unfair and really must stop. We need to be expectant of a change being possible. And I'm here to tell you that change is possible and that if we it's evidence really by my faith and putting my life down and my God calling for pursuing this. You know, if it were not something greater than inside of me, I, I would definitely not be doing this. I'd be talking about a motivational thing, just a motivational thing and building my platform, like how are we going to sit around a, a chair at Christmas time and, and get more gifts than somebody else? But it's not. We must participate, but we also must participate with an expectance. We must expect that people can change people. You know, the greatest obstacle is not what we need to do to see a change, but being stuck in our own default mode, if you like, of things not being able to change. It's been like this for so long, but it can't change. So how to change the way blacks see themselves and how whites see themselves. Change can happen, but it first happens with us. So others' perception and self-perception. How we see ourselves can be an insulting factor, as I said, on how we see others. Our history can determine, really, our history very much determines how we see ourselves and out of that how we see others. We must remember African-Americans first arrived in the United States of slaves that were forcibly taken from their, from their families. It was 20 people in 1619 in a Dutch barge. It was in Florida. So this really can perpetuate um, a bias in psychology from, from memory of how things were. So in other words, it's a negative bias for them of how things were and the primus effect from the whites to how things were as well. So it's the mind's association of, of those things that are perceived as bad and then the stereotyping, which is labeling things by the way society sees them, their norms. So sadly, many of us have a mind led by general consensus of those influencing factors. So if you follow the general opinion, media, friends, and cultural paradigms, many people think this way. So you see in unaware people how it can not only impact us, but also impact the lives around us. So a default mode lives in both really black and white culture at opposing ends of the realm, opposing ends. It's a default mode, how we see ourselves. So it's most detrimental, really, in what we're seeing in a verminent white subculture today. So solution would be the education system has been 
really what we might refer to as having a sham educational syllabus. And it takes on the beliefs of, grand, you know, we take on the beliefs of great-grandparents, grandparents, and grand so forth as passed on. So I think there needs to be a, a, an awakening in, in people, awakening people really through education. Firstly, there's a broad base, which is community level and national level, but there's a personal level too, but also an educational level. School curriculums to give an accurate account about the history of African-Americans. So we need to broaden what's considered important to impart to our students about a default history of America being a, a, a male, black, a white one, which is, you know, which brings all the racial divides and violence we're seeing. So rev revising the curriculum. I've been through this on another show, so I'm not going to go through it thoroughly. If you go through those, uh, some of those other shows, I've talked more about the educational system. So, and I'll recap it here. Lewis Trammell, PhD, American Indian Studies, wrote in September of 2015, when I was in school, we were taught that if the Native Americans hadn't gone extinct, nobody would be here today. So they taught us that assuming there were no Native Americans left, even though my family's Native American. I heard this extinction myth all the way up to my master's degree. Evidently, since we're all extinct, there's no reason to teach our history. Maybe that's why... You know, slavery is taught as part of civics and politics and world history modules, but the public grade schools don't focus on the issues that determine nationalism. So that save all for my college, my partner tells me that they didn't really learn the history at all. So there needs to be a change in that history. Also, going on beyond the education system, I believe all platforms and all people are needed. We need to start a discussion that's going to bring this to the air. There needs to be a healing from all ends. And I talked about this on the show on 1116. There needs to be a healing of what happened in the past to then gain respect for all people and then move forward. Nothing is unsolvable, but it hasn't been really communicated in the right way because people take sides and they get angry. So we need to involve all people because it's concerning all people. So Sociologists see racism in the U.S. as systemic, as embedded in every aspect of our social system. So um, it's the unjust cost of racism borne by people of color, like denial of education and employment, incarceration, mental and physical illness and death. It's the ideology that works that really has to be changed. So to, the, to end racism, we must combat it everywhere, I believe. Everywhere it lives and everywhere it thrives. We must confront it really in ourselves. It's very important. Um, in ourselves, in our communities, as a nation. It all starts really with us. No one person could do it alone, but we can all do, do these things together, things to help. And in doing so, working collectively will make a huge impact. So we're going to take a quick break. And in the next segment, I'm going to give you a talk about how how we can proceed on a personal level, how we can proceed on a community level, and how we can proceed on a national level. And there is... I'm hoping wherever you are in the world, if you take what I've said about self-perception and others' perception, this is I'm doing this obviously for America as far as the race divide goes, but whether you're struggling with your own identity or your value, that will come very much from raising an awareness that you're not what your mind thinks you are. You are raised far greater. So you must separate yourself from the story that your mind is constantly telling you, the conditioned story. And I've talked about in other shows how we can break our thoughts so we don't get led by our thoughts. If we sit back and look at objects, we can then break our thought pattern so we can be aware of the thoughts but not 
not led by the thoughts. And that's very important because a lot of these things, and it, it, just like I was discussing with racial profiling, a lot of this is a story based off a presumption, but how people are out there in the world, their mind is constantly thinking, well, this fits that more, this fits that more, but it's all skewed off a wrong perception of people. So there needs to be that awareness. In order to change something, we need to raise our awareness of our thoughts and the only way we do that really is by breaking the pattern and the cycle. Thinking is very cyclical. We have the same thoughts pretty much every day, you know, 90% repeated, 85% negative. And the only way to break those is to break them, to stop them and not be led by them. Yes, the thoughts will always be there, but we don't always have to run to those thoughts. Just like the bus driver that was segregating, just like a policeman who would make a rash decision. All of these things are coming from a mind of an awareness and really not enough discussion, not enough discussion really of a causality of a behavior. And that's really the key to solution is the causality, not the behavior. I can't cure the disease, but I can cure the cause of a disease. That's really what you've got to look at. But have a great break. My book actually is um, doing well. It's on Amazon, Get Out of Mind Jail. It would tell you more about how the conditioned mind can impact you, more about how you can use circumstances to work for you, how you can spend them, and really how you can have a greater life. It's called Get Out of Mind Jail. If you Google search, there's a page on that. And really for the cost of a cup of coffee and a sandwich, you can have something I think that will not change your life, but it will help you to stimulate and challenge your thoughts. And that's really what we're talking about. If we can't stimulate and challenge our thoughts, none of these shows I'm doing will be worth it because it means we can't change. But we know we can, but we need to use those seeds to then cultivate them within ourselves to make that change. It's been great talking to you. Have a great break, and I look forward to seeing you in the next segment. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis is a mix of insights into human behavior about how we shape the culture and the culture that traps us and ideas on how to get out of our own way. Kathy has plenty to talk about from becoming true individuals to growing as a society. And she has some ideas for making business work, how family work, relationships work, and even how to get the kids to literally do more work. How to Make Life Work. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Women in sport has come a long way in a reasonably short time. In the 1950s, most women's sport was casual, recreational competition, followed by snacks or a light lunch. Today, women's sport is competitive, powerful, and in the mainstream. Whether it's collegiate, Olympics, or professional leagues, tune in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up, where you'll discover the path that women's sport has taken over the past 50 years and more. Featuring your host, Carol A. Oglesby. Listen Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America empowerment follow us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment
You are tuned in to New Dimensions. To reach Reverend Nicholas or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to nbarrett28 at yahoo.com. Now, back to New Dimensions. Hello again. I'm going to say the final segment, really, but it's the first segment because what are we hearing or reading really becomes the material that we live our lives by. They develop our thoughts, what we see and what we hear. And that's what the show really has been all about. It's talked about what we hear from society, our parents, and I've gone through the different stages, our parents, our schooling, our job opportunities, policing, education, all of those things. When they're changed, we begin to make a change. That's why the education thing really is very important that we source where, as I say, the divide is black um, African-Americans want respect. So it's really sourcing where they are. It's sourcing how they feel about themselves. So we really have to go into it that way. How are we going to change this is really how the source of those thoughts are. So. We can do those things on many different ways, and I'll give you a brief guide that will help you. It's on a personal level. It's about looking at yourself in the mirror as it all begins really with your attitude towards other human beings and really begins with how you see yourself, how you, what are your personal thoughts. And even Proverbs tells us, watch over your heart with all diligence. From, from it flows the springs of life. So in other words, how your internal mechanism is on your personal level will be how you see people based out of that. So we can expand that on another show, but I'm, I'm giving you really an overview on how I think we can move forward with this. So really how you see yourself is inside out and is, is really how you'll see others. So we need to really focus on, on a personal level. We also at a community level, um, if you see something, say something. Very simply, on a community, challenge other people's views or their bias towards others of color. So the bad black people narrative is heard way too often, you know, without consequences. It appears accepted that a person can say that and whenever they want, however stupid, because there are no consequences. So very simply, start calling people on their stuff and other people will follow you. And the more that that happens, eventually will have ownership of what we're saying and we'll be more diligent and courteous to how we say it. So a lot of, as I say, behavior is done very simply because a lot of us are conditioned to society and how that behavior is then managed out. So we need to really have more of an awareness and really that starts with you at a community level. If you hear things you don't like, say, wait a second, start standing up for things that you believe. And I believe a lot of us really don't like what we hear. I just say, a lot of us, as I say, are just too scared to come forward. So the more of us that do that, eventually that's how you change and impact behavior in society. That's how cell phones are not used at movie theaters because there's enough times they, they remind you. Um, using your cell phone to disturb the viewing of other people is detrimental to them watching the show. So if you brought that to people's attention, that racist or divisory comments are not advisable, eventually it would become part of how we function. And even Proverbs 18.21 tells us, words kill or they give life. So it's really our choice are we going to use words that poison or are we going to use words that bring fruit of positivity, fruits of change? So another thing we can do on a, on a community level, all of us have this ability to do it. And I don't see 
I make a point of doing it because I'm conscious. Cross the racial divide and others by offering friendly greetings to people that look different, regardless of their race and gender. Just uplift them. Say, it's a great morning. Great to see you. Make them feel validated. They may feel isolated. They may feel marginalized. They may feel as though they're not cared for. It's surprising how many African-Americans I speak to and they light up when I talk to them. We have great conversations about positivity. It's about building not only yourself up on a personal level, but about building people up on a community level. We need to bring community and unity back into community. That's why it's called community. It unifies together. At the moment, we have a very separated and divisive community because none of us are making an effort. Yes, we see the behavior. A lot of us don't like it, but it's been going on for so long that it becomes our business, business as usual default mode. So we need to do that with ourselves. So learn also at a community level about the racism that occurs where you live and do something about it very simply by participating. You can only change something by participating and supporting uh, anti-racist community events, supporting process uh, protests, supporting rallies and programs. So get involved on a, you know, on a proactive level. It's they have these meetings. Look at them up in the local meeting places. It's about communities talking how they can shift. How can they they create a shift in mindset, a shift in the way things are done? And really, on national level, um, national political channels write to senators and members of Congress for reforms in law enforcement, things that you see on video or on tape that have been done that are not just the judiciary system, education, the media, advocate for national legislation that would criminalize racist you know, police practices and institute ways to monitor their behavior, like the Mike Brown law. So there's all of these things we can do with action. Join also the movement for reparations for descendants of African slavery and other historically oppressed populations within the US. So it's really important to know that that's where it stems from. Most of our things stem from the history. So we've got to go back really to correct it and, you know, really put your vote with people that have a priority to, to end the racial divide. If it can only be the way we see ourselves, we have to support that. So people really change people. And the greatest barrier really is in our thinking. It's been this way for so long that we can't do it. So just want to recap on all those things and going back on what I've said, education syllabus needs to change so people raise an awareness that it, slavery was a, an atrocity done to people. It was one of the greatest really, shall we say, things against God's people because we're all God's people. And it's something that's never really been discussed, although in 1865, the end of slavery was declared. The mindset and mentality lives in many people because the past is not acknowledged. We have a, a joint and collective pain body, as I've said. When you do something to somebody somewhere, it, you do it everywhere. So we're all affected by it. But it's to get a relationship, as I said in the previous show, to function so it's not dysfunctional. We need to go back to go forward. If we've done things, raped and pillaged before and done things in the relationship, we then have to go back, correct that so people are respected and acknowledged for what they've done for the country and then move forward more of an understanding. We have to understand how each of the sides 
feel, how they think. You've got one side thinking one way, one side thinking another. So educationally, that will change it. The next thing I talked about was how mindsets can shift. We talked about smoking in restaurants. We talked about smoking in aircraft. Even we talked about the cell phones not being used in in, in, in public places, in movie theaters and stuff. All of these things happen because somebody started talking about it and there was a shift in a, awareness. And we talked also about a personal level. Check your heart to see how you feel. Do you have anything implicit? Is Does something stir you up when someone of a different color maybe makes $30 million a year and you've done a lot of studying and only make 100? Uh, using these things as examples. So start off with a personal level. Are we clean ourselves? Because that's where it really starts from. I can't convince somebody to think differently, but I can help them to be critically thinking so they have their awakening in them that they'll also make that change. So look at yourself in the mirror. It begins really with you. And then we went on about a community level, you know, make people accountable for their actions and their behavior. If somebody very simply um, had a cell phone conversation in a movie theater, very quickly he'll be told that's the wrong thing to do. So we need to challenge our friends and very often, and I do this, I get people that I'm with sometimes that'll say something really either implicitly or explicitly racist, and I'll say, wait a second. And I'll correct them. I'll say they were stolen from Africa in 1619 and helped build to build America. And it's the truth. And the gentleman didn't even know about that. He's from Pittsburgh. He's 80 years old. He told me he never grew up seeing black people. I mean, this is real. I'm not anti-white telling you this. I'm pro-everybody, actually, because I believe we can improve the country. So we need to really become aware of these things, become aware of what was done in history, really repatriate, I believe, African-Americans. I believe they like we, the Holocaust was 12 years. This was 265 years almost, almost almost 300 years actually from 1619 to 1865. But needs to be some kind of reparation done so there can be respect. And that will really restore people's it will restore people's confidence. It will restore them to feel they're respected, but also to help them feel good about themselves. And that really is the truth. All of this I'm telling you is the truth. So we need to go back to correcting how people feel about themselves, and that's through the history. And I speak to many people, not just 80, some are 70 years old, 60 years old, 50 years old, that are totally oblivious to the past history. I'm amazed because the, the, the syllabus is skewed. I mean, it's, it's, as we say, a facade syllabus. And that's a big mistake because you can only sweep things under the carpet for so long before it creates a need for a shift. You know, if your hand's on a flame and you turn the flame up high enough, it's that pain that will give you a reason for change. So I'm believing all of these things. We saw more racism after eight years of a black um, president. We saw that. We saw Colin Kaepernick raised awareness. And I believe Trump also is raising an awareness, raising an awareness really because people identify, some people identify him as a hero figure, and you're getting people very extreme, alt-right, they're very brazen. And I'm not saying Donald Trump didn't start racism. I don't even know if he is, but, and I'm not even I'm taking a political side here. I'm looking at how people's mindsets are and how they have an identity with something that, that is totally their own interpretation of a self-perception. So, But all of these things are working, I'm believing, to create a reason for MMA shift. If all of these things didn't happen, 
God uses all things to work for us. So he used the eight years, I believe, of a black presidency, Colin Kaepernick and Trump. It's all designed to get things talking and they're talking. Things are spewing right now, but not spewing in the right direction. They're reactionary, they're angry, and that only creates a divide. I can't get an extremist to change his views, but if he hears me and realizes where his views are coming from, he'll realize maybe his views are not the right views and they're conditioned views. And that's the important thing to remember, that Picasso's there, but he's seeing things through a veil. And that message, there could be an alt-right listening to this, that may be a reason why you see people. So educationally, we've got to clear the mantle. We've got police reforms. There's got to be consequences for shooting unarmed black people. There has to be consequences regardless of a badge. We need to acknowledge the excellence in the, the police force. I have friends who are in the police force who are upstanding men and they would put themselves to protect you in a dangerous place that they could lose their life to protect you. There are men like that in our force. We need to applaud them. But there's a few that have also come from this narrative, from this bias, from this Basically, we've been discussing all along in the show, their minds have been skewed. We need to do this thing on a personal level, national level. As I say, we can do, we can contact senators, we can contact people in the government to really show them that we, there's a support with this. The more people that talk about it, about the judiciary, education, law enforcement, all of these things, that's a national level. And vote for those things, go to meetings so we could become change agents. I'm believing we're all change agents here. So those are, are the way forward. Listen to those other shows. Listen to the show from the 5th of October, the 12th of October, and the 16th of November. I wish I was speaking to a, an actual audience I could view, but I'm trying to give you really a breakdown and an overview of how this can be done. I hope I've inspired you. And even if you're in another part of the world, and this may this will mean something to you because how you see yourself is really how you've been conditioned. And we can all break away from that. It's about going back to settle things that were done wrong and then building from that. It's a process, not an event. But it's been great talking to you. I wish you a great week. I thank you for making this a priority. I just want to thank God for giving me the strength in this hard season to do it. It really is a hard season because all of these things culminated at one time. But I'm believing the opportunity and the potential and now is way greater. I'm looking for people to join me on the platform, people with larger platforms. As I put in well over seven figures of my own money. I put in these messages, particularly the ones I told you about for the race divide. That's something in my heart that it's specially on my heart. I'm believing a lot of people are suffering that don't need to suffer. And really when one person suffers, we all suffer. This is a cultural thing. It's a black thing. Yes, but it's also a white thing because it impacts everybody. When one person is unhappy in the family, the entire family is unhappy. And that's what we've got right now. We are the change. We can be the change. It can happen. It must happen. And I'm believing it will happen. Thank you to God. Thank you to you. God bless you. Love you much. And I will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of New Dimensions. Please join Reverend Nicholas Barrett again next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a blessed week.